Welcome to our worship at Hillhead Baptist. Our service this morning for Remembrance Sunday is led by Graham Meeklejohn. Um, a wee reminder of our Christian Aid Christmas appeal, which appeared in the November key. If you would like to make a donation to Christian Aid and have your Christmas greetings printed in the key, you can make a donation using the link that appeared in the November key. I keep saying I'm going to remember to circulate it again by email, and I promise I will do that today. Our midweek conversation group continues um, at 7pm on Tuesday evenings on Zoom and the coffee club meet as usual at 10.30 till 12 on Wednesdays at West Esquire House in Annisland. Next week we will meet here in the hotel as usual when Lena will lead our worship. These are all our notices. Good morning. Good morning. As we build towards our time of remembrance and our two-minute silence at 11 o'clock. I want to read as a call to worship Psalm 46, um, and then I'll also read um, two uh, stanzas from the poem For the Fallen by Lawrence Binion. Um, so let's read together Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, those waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then I said to 
paragraphs from the poem For the Fallen by Lawrence Binion, and I'm sure most of you will recognise the second verse. Um, but I wanted to put it in context. It's not a poem that is glorifying war in any way. It is a sombre poem about the cost of war. And I think the first paragraph that I'll read captures that. They went with songs to the battle. They were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning we will remember them. I wanted to bring these two ideas together this morning as we head towards a time of silence. For some, the Remembrance Sunday and the act of remembrance is poignant. Um, it is for those who have lost someone in war. It is um, a time of remembering people who have died in conflict. For others, however, it's a difficult morning as well to contemplate war and the violence. And we need that reminder, I think, from Psalm 46 that says he makes wars cease to the ends of earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. And so in the following two minutes silence, whether it's a time for you to reflect on those who have lost their life in war, or whether it is a time simply to be still and remember that God is a God of peace, or perhaps both. But I hope in the two minutes silence, we can hold in tension these ideas, both that God is a God of peace and remembering those who've lost their lives in war. As we observe the two minutes silence at the end, we'll go straight into the song, Weep for the Dead.
we're going to have an opening prayer, uh, which will be followed by the Lord's Prayer. Please feel free to join in the Lord's Prayer in your own language. Let's pray together. When the burden of grief is heavy, lighten our loads and lift our spirits. When despair darkens our horizon, shine forth your light and lead the way. When our hearts feel broken, comfort us and hold us in your embrace. When we rage against the injustice of loss, channel this power into all that is good. When sorrow surrounds us, wrap us in hope that we may endure. When we are overwhelmed in the dark of night, may the breaking of dawn bring peace. O God of peace, as we look to that day when you will gather all people, from north and south, east and west, into the unity of your peaceable kingdom. Guide us with your just and gentle wisdom to help us bring peace and dignity to your whole creation so that it may flourish as you intended. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And let us pray together. Our Father, yeah I'm going to step out from behind step out from behind <laughs> Uh, does that sound okay? Good for sound, good. Um, oh, I'm even getting the camera. This feels very pressured. <laughs> um, so uh, today's Remembrance Sunday, and really it's all about remembering. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about um, some of the dynamics of Remembrance Sunday later in the service. But at this point, I wanted us to think about memory and remembering. Now, I don't know about you, how good your memory is. Mine isn't very good. Well, that's not totally true. I've got a great memory for random facts that no one wants to know, particularly related to football in the 90s. <laughs> um, but ask me, people's birthdays? Absolutely hopeless. I know my family's. Um, not my in-laws, don't ask me my, my brother or sister-in-laws, don't ask me my nieces and nephews birthday, <laughs> sorry guys if they're listening, <laughs> but uh, you know, so my memory I, I can't count on it so, I've got a wee illustration challenge for anyone that thinks they've got a good memory what I'm going to do, grab my bag uh, I've got a tray and I'm going to put on it about eight or nine different items and I'll give someone maybe 10, 20 seconds to memorise it and then cover it and see how many you can remember, okay? Everyday items, um, nothing too unusual. Uh, so maybe if any of the younger members want to do it, you could even do it as a team if you wanted to come up and do it as a few people together. Um, the trick will be that if I can remember what's on it. <laughs> So there we go. 
Great, thanks guys. <laughs> so, here we go. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine things on it. Okay, so let's give you about 20 seconds to memorize it. Okay, good. Right, let's cover it up. Put it back up. Right, how long should we leave it before we have to start naming it, make it more difficult? Okay. Okay, how many can you name? Yeah, that's three. Coaster, four, five. Yep. Six. And a charger. Charger. Key. Key. Yep. I think there's one more to go. Pen? No, said pen. Said the clap. <laughs> oh, that was excellent. Right, you can go and sit back down. Thank you for that. So, all but one. I definitely couldn't do that myself, so you definitely did better than I would have been able to do. Um, as I say, we're going to think about Remembrance Sunday a bit more later in the service, but for this point, there's two things that I think that I want to say that I want you to remember. Um, throughout the service and hopefully on into the week and they're quite simple really but they're easy to forget one is that god is good you see i think when we look around the world at the moment and we see lots of difficult things happen lots of wars lots of conflict it can be really easy to forget that simple fact that god is good that god is a god of life not a god of death that god wants good things for us and wants his world to flourish and yes, in this interim time, there might be conflict and there might be uh, difficult things going on. But God is still a good God. It doesn't stop God from being good. So we have to remember that God is good. And the second thing is that God is sovereign. That's a big word, but really it means that God is con in control. Um, and it's very easy, again, to forget that God is in control. Sometimes I think we wonder what is going to happen in the world around us? What is going to come of all the events that are happening? But we have to remember that God is sovereign, that in this interim time, things might be all up in upheaval. Um, nations might be in uproar, as we read. But ultimately, God has a plan and a purpose for this world in the future, in the fullness of time that's going to restore the world back to the way he intended it to be and so God is sovereign and so we can have hope for the future so two things to remember today God is good and God is sovereign let's continue our worship this morning by singing together eternal God before whose face we stand
Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 to 34. The Lord says, the time is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the old covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them off, led them out of Egypt. Also, I was like a husband to them. They didn't keep that covenant. The new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel will be this. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them will have to teach this fellow citizen to know the Lord because all will know me. From the least of the greatest, I will forgive their sins and I will no longer remember their wrongs. I, the Lord, have spoken. Thank you for that reading. This morning what I plan to do is share um, three different reflections, questions um, around themes that I've been reflecting on in light of Remembrance Sunday. Um, and to be honest, they are questions and ideas that I'm not sure that I even have answers to. Um, and I wasn't sure whether to share it this morning. Um, I know for some, Remembrance Sunday is a very uh, poignant day, a, a very important day. Um, and what I want to do today is think about difficult questions surrounding things like war and conflict, peace and non-violence. And as I say, I was slightly apprehensive about doing that today of all days. But at the same time, I, I realised that in a world, particularly today, where there is conflict and war, we have a war on the borders of Europe, we have literally an explosive war in the, the Middle East, then I thought we need to, as Christians and as church, um, at least consider some of these questions. Uh, in some ways, the only thing worse than not having an answer is not even to consider the question. So I, I raise a lot of the issues this morning, as I say, quite honestly, without having answers to them, but just wanting to think about them in a wee bit more depth. So the first one, the first set of ideas that I want to think about is this idea of remembering and forgiving. Um, there's an author, Miroslav Volf, who suggests that in the fullness of time for complete reconciliation to take place, we need to forget the sins, that, uh, forget how people have sinned against us, forget how we ourselves have been sinned against. It says that we, it's not just enough to forgive someone, but that actually we need to completely go the full distance and forget the sin completely. Um, he does admit that this will probably not happen this side of the fullness of the kingdom, that it's maybe not possible for us to do that. But he says, ultimately, this is what needs to happen. We need to forget in order to um, have the full reconciliation. And you can see how he gets there when you read verses like we did there in Jeremiah 31, 34, which says, um, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. 
there seems to be this parallel between forgiveness and not remembering. Um, and so this idea that in order for full reconciliation, we need to not remember, we need to forget, is I guess where we get the phrase forgive and forget from. And yet it seems to me that there is at least some wisdom in remembering. It's like the phrase, the, the, the old adage that says we're doomed to uh, repeat the mistakes of our past if we forget them. Um, and so there seems to be some wisdom in remembering so that we can better ourselves. And it seems as well that memory, at least to a certain extent, um, has something to do with who we are, our identity. Even the difficult times, the hard times that we've gone through shape us in some way and hopefully shape us into better people as well. And so if we were to forget even the difficult things, we would become different people, I think. And so there's something to do with memory and identity. And there seems to be some biblical precedent for this, this as well. When we think about the resurrected body of Christ, we think about the marks on his hands and his feet and in his side. There was some continuity, at least physically some kind of continuity. Um, and we imagine some continuity of memory for Christ as well in the resurrection body. And so there's this tension between forgetting to enable us into full into a place of full reconciliation, but also this idea of memory being part of identity and some kind of wisdom in remembering as well. And so, as I say, I don't have an answer to this. I think there's a tension here and there's some biblical evidence on both sides. But I do wonder, in Remembrance Sunday, whether we do sometimes need to practice a sense of forgetfulness. I, at least in some expressions of remembrance, it creates a certain animosity as we remember our enemies. Um, there's a certain sense of nationalism that comes along on Remembrance Sunday as well. And perhaps we need to at times practice this sense of forgetfulness when it comes to the animosity that is built up when we remember. Um, and so maybe in Remembrance Sunday, it's both remembering the circumstances that led to the atrocities of the world wars, but also practicing a sense of forgetfulness in the animosity that can be quite easy to hold on to as we practice remembrance. And so there is, as I say, a tension here, and I don't know that there's a clear-cut answer, but both remembering is important at the same time as practicing a degree of forgetfulness. As we reflect on those ideas, we're going to join together to speak the words of the following song. Lead us, Lead us from death to life, from, life, from, from falsehood into truth, and may we keep through all our years the hopefulness of youth, from dark despair to hope, from fear to trust in God, from hate to love, from war to peace, keep leading us, dear God. 
Let peace enfold our hearts, in peace our souls immerse, and make God's peace a great world, then fill the universe. The second set of ideas that I want to think about have to do with peace and non-violence. We quite often, as we have just done, speak the words of peace, pray for peace. And I think that's a good thing. (laughs) And yet, the idea of peace, I think, is more complicated than sometimes we think about. There's a narrative, often within global conflicts, international wars, that says, in order to bring about peace, we need to remove the enemy. We need to get rid of the enemy, the ones that are causing the disruption. We need to get rid of them. And if we are going to restore peace in the here, of now, in the here and now. And so there's a certain sense that it's peace, but a violent process in order to get to that place of peace. There's an author, Walter Wink, who talks about the myth of redemptive violence. And this is what he means by redemptive violence, that we can use violence in order to get to a place of peace. And that justifies the violence in some way. And he says that this is actually quite pervasive in our culture and in in our thinking. Um, And it wasn't until I'd read Walter Wink that I kind of thought, actually, he's he's true. It's true. He's right about this. When you think about any spy film, or superhero movie, um, you generally have the good guy, or the good guys, um, that are licensed to use violence against the bad guys for if you want the greater good, or so that the good guys win. It's kind of um, bound up in in James Bond's license to kill. We can say, oh, that's okay. He's got a license to kill. It's fine for him to kill people because he's only killing the bad guys. And he's doing that to bring good peace to the good guys. You think about any superhero movie, Superman, Batman, anything like that. And we license the superhero to use violence against the enemy in order to bring about a good outcome. And we kind of overlook that violence because it's to serve the good. Um, And in some ways, the superhero movies are even more... Um, sneaky about it because often the enemies are, are monsters or aliens and so we don't really think about the violence because it's not directed against another human and yet it captures this idea of redemptive violence that we can use violence as long as it's in the pursuit of the good and there's some at least theological precedent for this um, some strains of liberation theology suggests that God is always on the side of the oppressed and God always strives for freedom and liberation um, at any cost in some way, that, that that is the highest good, that even if we need a violent struggle against oppression, then that's justified in order to bring people into freedom and liberation. And you can kind of understand where they get this from if we think about the story of the Exodus. And I think the story of the Exodus is a story that we um, perhaps don't dwell enough on in terms of its problematic aspects. Um, you know, the, the freedom of the Israelites from Egypt 
we think is a good thing. And yet when you sit and contemplate the plagues that came before the freedom, that was quite a sort of difficult time for the Egyptians, I imagine. And then you get to the angel of death. And every firstborn child of the Egyptians is killed. And that's such an aggressive act of violence. And yet we don't really sit with that. We overlook it because we say it was in service to the greater good. And so there's this idea in both in some strains of theology within culture that when we think about peace, liberation and freedom, then it justifies the use of violence. And I wonder whether that's actually what we mean when we're praying for peace. I wonder if that's actually what we mean when we strive towards peace. And I, or I wonder whether we actually are looking towards something that is about non-violence. You see, I think God is a God of life. Everything that has life flows from God. God is our creator. God, when he meets Moses in the burning bush, says, I am. That's God's name. He is pure existence. He tends towards life and resists anything that goes towards destruction and death. And God is a God of life. And I think that brings us to the point where we have to say God is a non-violent God. God wouldn't be the one who stands and says, it's peace, but at any cost. I think God is always a God that tends towards life and resists death and destruction. And yet, even the most ardent supporters of non-violence suggest that in the most extreme cases where we can't find a response of non-violence, that violence might not only be justified, but we might have a moral responsibility to use it. Because I can stand here and I can explore this idea quite easily in the safety and security of Scotland, of Glasgow, in this room, where I'm not facing an immediate threat, at least, of violence. And can I really say that there should be a non-violent response to those whose li lives are um, under threat, whose families, whose country, whose living, whose friends are under threat of death? Can I really stand and say that the answer is non-violence in those situations? Maybe there is even a, a responsibility to resist the evil and the oppression when it gets to such a level that there is no adequate non-violent response. So while I can stand here and say, I absolutely think that God is a God who, of life, a God who always tends towards life, who always resists death and destruction, I also recognise that that's a very difficult message and looks very different in a context where there's an immediate threat to life, not just to your own life, but to the life of those around you. So what do we mean when we pray for peace? What do we mean when we say we strive as Christians towards peace? Is it peace at any cost? I'm not sure. Are we thinking about God as a non-violent God? I hope so. But I also recognise the real tension that there is between peace and non-violence. 
As we take a moment to reflect on that, there's going to be some music played after which I'll invite Laura up to, to pray for us. Let us pray. Spirit of God, as one family we reflect today on the horrors of the past that continue to haunt humanity and darken our world. Lord, where pain still overwhelms, bring healing. Where hearts are still breaking, bring comfort. Where peoples are still oppressed, bring liberation. Where communities are still victimized, bring justice. Where children are still brutalized, bring compassion. Where lives are still crushed, bring hope. Where evil is perpetrated, bring repentance. Where war still devastates, bring peace. But most of all, wherever a single voice cries out in the darkness, bring us to one another. In the name of the love you bear in your heart for all people, all nations and all creation. Lord, we lift to you our fellow Baptist churches in Scotland, Shettleson, South Beach, South Leith Baptist churches and Southside Church in Eyre. Christ has no body now but ours, no hands, no feet on earth, but ours. Ours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Ours are the feet with which he walks. Ours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Ours are the hands, the eyes, the feet. Christ has no body now but ours. 
God of love and peace, grant us the wisdom and the courage to live in the knowledge of this truth. Amen. The final reflection that I want to bring this morning is slightly shorter, I think. Uh, and it's looking at justice and mercy. And in some ways, ju- it, it has an overlap with forgiveness and memory, our first reflection, in that to offer mercy seems to be to offer someone forgiveness, that if we forgive someone, we are offering them mercy. But I want to think about it in a slightly different perspective in from the perspective of holding someone to account or at least accountability for wrongdoing. Because it seems to me that justice, to seek justice for someone, to seek justice for ourselves, is to in some way to seek someone's accountability, for them to take responsibility for the wrongdoing that they have caused us or caused others to seek justice for someone else, is to get someone to take responsibility for the wrongdoing that they have caused someone else. And it seems to be that there are two main um, ways of accountability in in our justice system. Um, There's a kind of retributive justice, which is punishing someone um, in some kind of, maybe not the same way, but some kind of equality of punishment for the wrong that they have perpetrated. And there's a restorative justice, which is trying to... um, hold someone to accountability for the wrong that they have done and help to see that they recognize the wrong and restore them to wholeness of of being. But both essentially are are trying to say that this person takes accountability, this person takes responsibility, is being held accountable for the wrongdoing. And I think, you know, there are many, um, ways in which we can understand justice as a good thing, that people should take responsibility for their wrongdoing, people should be held to account. Um, And yet, when it comes to mercy, it seems to be that the idea of mercy is almost um, removing that sense of accountability from someone. I think at least when you look at the cross and when you have some theories of the cross, some versions of the cross that say the punishment that was due us, God has taken on himself. Even if we don't want to say that it was a punishment due us, we say the responsibility, the consequences of sin that we should have borne, Christ bore. And so in some ways, it removes that accountability from us. The the consequences, the responsibility, the punishment, however you want to phrase it, the cross seems in its mercy to remove that sense of accountability. And the theory goes, I suppose, that if God is a merciful God, then we too should be merciful, that we too should overlook the accountability, the responsibility of others' wrongdoing. However, I'm not sure that turning a blind eye to justice in that way is actually a good thing to do or a right thing to do. 
I think we want to give people the opportunity to be restored, to acknowledge their wrongdoing, to be transformed in themselves, that holding them to accountability, to seek some form of justice, enables them to undergo a process of transformation. And yet, here we are again in this tension between justice and mercy, because by all accounts, it seems that God's mercy overlooks the accountability, the responsibility that we should have borne. And so bringing it back to Remembrance Sunday in some way, I wonder whether we need to exercise both justice and mercy. I think in Remembrance Sunday, we not only remember those who served in wars and died, but we also have to remember all those who died in conflict as innocent bystanders, as civilians, as counting the cost of war, not just servicemen and women, but all who have lost lives, all who have lost something through war and conflict. And whether it's a civilian, an innocent bystander, or whether it's a soldier who has served, I think that we have to err on the side of mercy for those who have been caught up in war, because I think war is often perpetrated not by the individuals who are counting the cost of war, even when to an extent they may be colluding in the war, but war is often perpetrated by a system of power, of institution, of history, that no one has done anything more than be born into. And so when it comes to thinking about mercy and justice for individuals, for those caught up in war, even those who perhaps collude with war, perhaps we do need to err on the side of God's mercy. But I think at the same time, let us never lose sight of justice and campaigning for justice and advocating for justice against the systems and powers and structures and situations that want to perpetrate violence in our world. Let us always seek justice against those institutions and powers that often, are, that often we're caught up in and catch others up in their cycle of violence. So again, we have this tension of justice and mercy. And I want to say this morning that we can't lose sight of both. Let's practice mercy. Let's err on the side of mercy for those caught up in cycles of violence. But let us never lose sight of justice to stand against the powers and institutions that perpetrate violence in our world. As we come to the end of our service, we're going to sing another song together, turning the world upside down.
finish with words from 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.